Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Courtney Enlow, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. All troop carriers will assemble at the north entrance. The heavy transport ships will leave as soon as they're loaded. Only two fighter escorts per ship. The energy shield can only be opened for a short time, so you'll have to stay very close to your transports. Two fighters against a Star Destroyer? The Ion Cannon will fire several shots to make sure that any enemy ships will be out of your flight path. When you've gotten past the energy shield, proceed directly to the rendezvous point. Understood? Yeah. Good luck. As we've been exploring through the Forgotten Women of Genre podcast, one of the most common threads in our aptly titled series has been the unacknowledged and more often than not unknown contributions of women to some of the most iconic genre franchises in history. One of them played a role in contributing to the legacy of that galaxy far, far away, and it's well past time we recognize her efforts. Today we're shining a light on none other than the late Lee Brackett, who wrote the very first script draft of The Empire Strikes Back. But long before she lent her talents toward shaping what would eventually become the second-ever Star Wars movie, Brackett was a young girl with a love of science fiction and romance who knew early on what she wanted to do for a living, even if it meant facing down opposition, and in many cases sexism, at every turn. Lee Brackett was born on December 7, 1915, in Los Angeles. Her childhood was tough. She was only three years old when her father passed away as the result of an international flu epidemic, and her family moved around a lot after that. Brackett said that had a negative impact on her early education, but perhaps she was destined to become a lover of science fiction from an early age. She was first introduced to the genre via the Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, The God of Mars. I was introduced to Burroughs at a very young age, she said. And of course, I immediately took the plunge, and that changed the course of my life right there. That's what Brackett said in a 1976 interview. By the age of 13, Brackett was already thoroughly motivated toward becoming a writer. She wrote several plays during her time in the theater department of the all-girls private school she attended in Santa Monica, California. And her success there fostered a love of writing even more. However, when she was given the opportunity to attend college on a partial scholarship, she declined, since she was financially unable to afford the rest of the tuition costs. 
Instead, she threw herself into becoming a full-time writer. In 1939, she became a member of the Los Angeles Science Fiction Society, joining its ranks alongside other up-and-coming writers, you know, like Ray Bradbury. And from there, she began submitting short stories to science fiction magazines. She would initially receive several rejections before selling her first story, Martian Quest, to John W. Campbell Jr.'s astounding science fiction magazine in 1940. At the time, there weren't many science fiction writers to speak of, and Brackett had been advised against pursuing a career in the genre given that there was no money to be made. But she refused to be so easily deterred, even after her publishing relationship with Campbell began to sour. She had expressed more of an interest in writing planetary romances, which were often derided as pulpy and lesser than. However, Brackett knew that she also needed to support herself financially, so she started writing in other genres too. And her decision to dabble in straight mystery paid off with the publication of her first novel, No Good from a Corpse, in 1944. As it turned out, this was the book that would help launch her career in Hollywood. No Good from a Corpse wound up on the desk of director and producer Howard Hawks, who liked it so much that he hired Brackett to write the film adaptation of Raymond Chandler's novel The Big Sleep. Brackett would share a co-writing credit with William Faulkner and Jules Firthman on the screenplay, which was eventually turned into the 1946 flick starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. To this day, The Big Sleep is still regarded as one of the best film noir movies ever made. That same year, Brackett married fellow writer Edmund Hamilton, and the two relocated to Kinsman, Ohio. There, Brackett took a break from screenwriting to once again focus on science fiction, or as her friend Michael Moorcock described it, science fantasy, a light-hearted amalgam that was often looked down upon in the height of the sci-fi boom, when most of her peers were writing what were considered more serious contributions to the genre. Still, Brackett continued to write longer and longer stories throughout the 1950s, including The Starmen, Alpha Centauri or Die, The Big Jump, and one of her most well-received novels, The Long Tomorrow, which was published in 1955. The book, which is set in the aftermath of a catastrophic nuclear war, takes place in a society that has learned to fear all scientific progress. Much of Brackett's significant career success has only just been rediscovered. Until recently, it was believed a woman had not been nominated for Best Novel by the Hugo Awards until 1963. That all changed in 2010 when a newly unearthed ballot from 1956 revealed the long tomorrow on the shortlist. It was the first instance a Hugo nomination had been given to any woman, as well as the first time a woman had been nominated for Best Novel. After taking a short hiatus from screenwriting, Brackett returned to juggling both her writing for sci-fi and in Hollywood, not only in the realm of film, but on television. She resumed a professional relationship with Howard Hawks, and he enlisted her as a writer on several of his projects throughout the 60s and 70s. She either wrote or co-wrote several Western films Hawks directed, which happened to star the legendary John Wayne, including Rio Bravo, Hatari, El Dorado, and Rio Lobo. During this time, Brackett's talents as science fiction writer were on full display so much so that she was often referred to as the queen of the space opera. 
badass as that sounds, it wasn't really considered a good thing. It's no secret that genre has been largely dominated by a certain demographic. And according to Brackett, the types of stories she most enjoyed writing were often the ones that just weren't taken seriously. In fact, in an introduction she wrote for The Best Planet Stories No. 1, published in 1976, Brackett said she considered the term space opera a pejorative term often applied to a story that has an element of adventure. In Brackett's mind, these types of adventures were more than worthy of defending as the folk tale, hero tale of our particular niche in history. Little did she know that soon enough, she would be helping to craft one of the greatest space operas in the history of science fiction. In 1977, George Lucas was riding high on the success of Star Wars. The film had premiered in May of that year to huge box office returns, and Lucas was already feeling the pressure to deliver on a sequel that would make just as much of an impact as the first Star Wars movie. But he also had a growing company to run in Lucasfilm and he decided to step back from writing and directing to hand over the reins to someone else. While most Star Wars fans know it was Lucas's former USC film professor, Irvin Kirshner, who wound up directing Empire Strikes Back, it turned out that Lucas had someone very specific in mind to tap for writing the film's script. In an excerpt from John Baxter's Mythmaker, one of Lucas's friends reportedly gave him a copy of one of Brackett's novels and told him, here is someone who did the cantina scene better than you did. Funny enough, Lucas wasn't even aware of Brackett's previous screenwriting experience when he called her up with an invitation to write the Star Wars sequel. All he knew was that she was a pulp science fiction writer with tons of experience in the genre that Star Wars had been heavily influenced by. And that made her perfect for the job. Brackett was reportedly thrilled and accepted the offer immediately and the two held a week-long story conference in late 1977, during which they drafted some of the franchise's most significant plot points, only taking a break for Thanksgiving before jumping right back in. The result was a 55-page transcript that established the basic outline for what would eventually become The Empire Strikes Back. Brackett's contributions to the script of Empire only amounted to a first draft which was never officially published, but has since been unearthed to make the rounds online for curious fans. Reading through it now, her experience in and her fondness for space fantasy is on full display, but her impact on many of the franchise's most significant story beats is obvious. There's a battle that takes place on an ice planet, but the conflict doesn't just happen between the Rebellion and the Empire. Rather, there's a group of monsters who attack the rebels' ice palace before the Empire shows up to ruin things. On tank-type crawlers, more specifically. In a later scene, Luke also makes his way to a, quote, bog planet, where he trains in the ways of a force with a, quote, frog-like old man to help defeat his most powerful enemy. And there are obvious connections to be drawn from the place Brackett names Orbital City, a city in the clouds where Han and Leia meet his old friend Lando. There are plenty of differences to be noted here too. Among them is the fact that Brackett's script plays up the love triangle between Han, Leia, and Luke. In her script, Luke does have a twin sister who was hidden halfway across the galaxy, but it wasn't Leia. She was called Nellis, and in Brackett's version, she was also training to become a Jedi, 
Pour one out for that version of the Skywalker twins, won't you? Lucas was famously underwhelmed by Brackett's first pass. But she would never have the opportunity to do rewrites or even to see the elements of her first draft that were later realized with some tweaking on the big screen. She passed away from cancer on March 18, 1978, shortly after delivering her draft to Lucas. The director would eventually hire Lawrence Kasdan to rework the screenplay after writing two drafts himself, but both Brackett and Kasdan were given final co-writing credit on the film. In Laurent Buzereau's Star Wars The Annotated Screenplays, Lucas said, I didn't like the first script, but I gave Lee credit because I liked her a lot. She was sick at the time she wrote the script, and she really tried her best. During the story conferences I had with Lee, my thoughts weren't fully formed, and I felt that her script went in a completely different direction. While Brackett's initial vision for Empire wasn't necessarily what Lucas had envisioned, it's plain that some of the movie's major moments, as well as the franchise's biggest plot twists, can be traced back to her early involvement on the story itself. In the end, she played her own role in the enduring legacy of the women of Star Wars, and her contributions toward that universe, as well as the history of science fiction in general, can't be overstated enough. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Carly Lane and read by Courtney Enlow, and produced by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.